0: Shabbat Shalom. All right. We are in Romans chapter 13 and um, part 3 today. And we're going to pick up in verse 8. Now, don't Glenn, I don't need any amens on this. But um, I am a flawed individual, as you all know. And I told you before I got into Romans 13, this would be very challenging for me. It's very challenging for me because the natural man in me... That man I'm trying to put to death daily is a fighter, wants to push back. So in delivering this message, it's been really hard for me. And I think you may have picked up on that, maybe especially last week. Um, I get very fired up. But truly, I want to be able to communicate this message in a way that is important because we are dealing with the government, which is the natural fleshly realm. But that doesn't mean it has to be fleshly, because there's a huge, huge spiritual application to governance. And ultimately, I believe we're going to see that manifest in an antichrist way. So we will be talking about that a little bit. It's very easy just to be focused on government, which is the flesh, which is the natural realm. It would be easy to just focus on that. It's important. We've got to look at the spiritual ramifications, which I believe, like I said, is going to end up with the man of sin. But the first and the most important thing I want to touch on, and you can do the work on this, we can do the work on this together, and we must never forget this. Good governance begins where? Good governance begins at home. If we're, if I'm so focused in this message, on the fleshly, on the natural, on what I see out there, and yes, it's pounding down the streets, and we're seeing everything getting jacked up in the natural world with a spiritual ramification behind it. But truly, the most important thing about this message is that good governance starts at home. With me as a father, with me as a husband, and when I come here as me as a vicar, a minister, whatever you want to say, we must understand that's where the good governance begins, at the home. Yes, we read the Bible to our wife and our children. But we're not supposed to just read the word. We are to explain what it means spiritually to walk out those verses. To give it life application. Not just to put the word in their mind, but to place it within the hearts of our spouses. Within the hearts of our children through discipleship and by being that good governance at home. You cannot abdicate that and then come on in here and get into a theology study on Romans 13. Because the first things first for me is doing that at home every day. There is nothing more important than a man taking his arm and putting it around his wife physically and praying for her. Reading the scriptures and Physical touch for the children to be ministered to, to manifest. We have the children in here when we worship because children need to see their parents worship Yahuwah. This is the good governance that we must demonstrate to our spouses, to our children and our grandchildren because they're not getting it. They're not getting it from anywhere else but your government at home. So I wanted to say that because at the end of the day, it's easy to get fleshly. I hate that about myself. That part of me, I crush and try to crucify daily as I know you do. But it rises up because it's familiar, especially in this chapter. So I'm aware of that. I admit that to you. Pray for me because I want to do a good job in communicating the word but i'm a frail man and i make mistakes so i hope that my deliverance doesn't come across like i know it all and prideful because i don't i am confident and my confidence alone is in Yahweh and his word not in my abilities but in his word so those of you who know me you, I, I think, know where I'm coming from. But the online audience that maybe doesn't, it could easily come across a way that I don't want it to. That's why I wanted to spend this time before I get into the Word today to be able to communicate that. So, without further ado, let's look... Thank you for not saying, amen. <laughs> Verse 8 of Romans chapter 13. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Before we get in any further, it's very important that we talk about believers being in debt. We are not to owe people anything. I was advised in my younger years that it was a good idea to get a mortgage. Now in my later years, I don't think that it's good to get in debt whatsoever with anything. If he has set us free, we should be free. We need to live within our means. If we are in debt, then that, the root of that is covetousness. Wanting something that you can't afford and you go out and get yourself in debt for it. That is not what we're to do. We're to have good governance, are we not? With the gifts that Yahuwah has. We live within our means because otherwise we will become enslaved. And we've all made mistakes, but it's important that we take responsibility for the governments of ourselves, right? Our wants, our desires, our needs. 4,000 years ago, the carnal man desired The faster camel. He desired to extend and lengthen the cords of his tent. A bigger, fancier tent. And he desired better food for his table. If all I desire is a bigger and better house. A faster car and more mammon so I can put better food on my table, then I am no different than the carnal man that lived 4,000 years ago. And Yahuwah doesn't want that for me. And he doesn't want that for you. So we have got to understand, like you said, the beams are coming down. And we have to be able to have that good governance. And it says right here, oh no one anything except to love one another because he who loves the world makes himself an enemy of yahusha an enemy of yahweh correct so we are to have the good governance with our outlook for the one who loves another has fulfilled the torah So, we're not to be walking as indebted slaves, first off, but we're to walk in love and to fulfill the biblical law. What I want to do in this section of chapter 13 is again, we looked at the Constitution last week. We saw the God of this nation, secular humanism, we the people, polytheism, many gods, and we the people. We looked and saw that the problem with Israel was always what? We the people rising up against Yahuwah, the one true Elohim of Israel. It's always been a problem of we the people. So we looked at the constitution. We saw the difference between... What was going on in the 17th century, which was in New Haven, Connecticut, with biblical law and a Torah foundation with those that had come across from England, the Puritans. And then we saw the shift in the later um, 18th century. And we saw the shift into constitution law which moved away from Yahweh, it moved away from the Torah, and it moved into a Masonic, Luciferic foundation in secular humanism. And the God there being served that has been constructed is the God we the people. Now... I want to go in further today into the laws of this land and I want to show you the differences between the laws of this land and biblical law and to show you why we have the problems that we have today. The Islamification within America, with the many gods that have come up in America and how it's okay to have various occult ...Gods and images in state buildings and federal buildings... ...yet it's not okay to have the Ten Commandments... What's going on there? Why is there a preference over the gods of the world uh, uh, over the God, one true living Elohim, Yahweh? Why is that? What did we do? What ground did we give up? And what's going on? So I want to have a look at today some of the articles uh, in the, in the um, Constitution, some of the amendments. Compare that to biblical law, the Torah. And ultimately, it comes down to this. Why is this so important? Why am I spending three Shabbats going over Romans 13? We have to understand, and I've communicated this many times before, what your granddad and grandmother did, what your parents did, if they were faithful Bible believers, they were accountable to the revelation within that generation you can't go on and say well you know my mom she was a good Christian and she didn't know about the Torah if your parents or your grandparents were on fire for Yahuwah and they were accountable for the revelation of that generation if they were true to that then they did the work of that generation but you and I do not have the excuse of walking on the backs of the previous generation. We don't have that excuse because Yahuwah increases understanding throughout the generations until he arrives at the zenith of the revelation of his son. So as the generations go forward each successive generation is going to be held accountable for the revelation that Yahweh wants to manifest within the that generation. This generation is accountable to the manifestation of the harmony in his son and the royal Torah, the Melchizedek revelation. But we also cannot ignore the fact that in the last generation, Second Thessalonians tells us that there's going to be a change. This generation has to make preparation for that change because if you're not careful if you do the things that your parents did and you make a vote and you're in the generation that votes for the antichrist will there be an accountability on your shoulders that you do not want to carry you don't have the excuses that your parents and your grandparents had. So therefore, I'm saying we need to be cautious because we are a generation that is in a different position than the previous generations. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, we are told not to be shaken in mind. I want to give you the understanding today. So that you're not going to be shaken in mind. You're not to be troubled by spirits. All those occult spirits that are connected to the constitution, the Luciferic world. You're not to be troubled by those spirits. You're to have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You're not to be so consumed with the words and letters of men the Constitution, the articles, the amendments, and you're to be chasing after that. You're to be consumed with the words and letters of the apostles, the prophets that have gone beforehand as a clarion call and a warning to wake up your generation, my generation, because you and I are not to be deceived because there is going to be a great Falling away of the faithful in this generation. There's going to be a great apostasy and falling away of the faithful. As the man of sin is going to be revealed. And he most probably will be voted in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Think about it. He's going to exalt himself as God. He is going to be worshipped as he sits in the state of Israel in an Ashkenazi New World Order Zionistic temple. Do you want to fund that? Do you want to be a part of that? Because that's what they're all moving towards. It's called the mystery of of iniquity the mystery of iniquity and that mystery of iniquity it's already at work it's already at work Yahweh will bring a strong delusion it's coming from him to sift and to test he is going to bring a strong delusion So that people will believe the lie. The lie that the Constitution is biblical. That's a lie. The lie that you live in a free country. That's a lie. There's a strong delusion on believing America... Because those from the pulpit are too shackled by the system to speak the truth. They're too afraid to speak the truth. So we need to be a brave and courageous generation. And I need to be brave and courageous to be able to speak the truth without fear. But also to speak it through spirit and humbleness, not the flesh. And that's the challenge. And that's why I ask for your prayers. And I come into this third part of Romans chapter 13. With humbleness and serious, serious conviction to be able to do a just and righteous deliverance of the word of Yahweh today. And I do it with fear and trembling, and I fail miserably oftentimes. But my heart and your heart is to seek and serve the one true living Elohim of Israel. Yahweh is his name. Amen. They're talking about the guy that runs Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, maybe announcing for president next. They're talking about the wrestler, the rock. I mean, this is the world that we live in. I mean, Oprah thinks that she's got opportunities. She's certainly got the crowd and she's got the money. Is this the world that we're coming to? This is what we've already voted in. Celebrity presidents. A president is one who presides over the kingship. The Bible tells us that there is only one. And when Israel chose Saul, it grieved the father. So let's not try to convince ourselves something is holy, just, and righteous when it is sick and twisted, the veneer has cracked the occult, And the Masonic Luciferian realm is clear for me to see, and I'm not going to mince my words over it. Let's look in verse 8, and let's look at this verse 8 versus, let's set verse 8 up against the articles. Verse 8 versus the articles, and let's see who comes out winning the Luciferic realm and the Constitution, or Yahuwah and the Holy Writ. I know who's going to win. Article 1. Article 1. These are the words of men. All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in the Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. So this is Article 1, within the constitutions. But the question that one has to ask when we look at this, look what it says, all legislative powers. Now we have to ask the questions because we are people of the word. What is a legislator? That's one who sets laws. That's a lawgiver. But what does James tell us in chapter 4 verse 12? There is only... Do you see the ramifications when you're in the word or you're in the world? You don't have the excuses and I don't have the excuses of what my generations before me had. And you may have had great believing parents. Praise Yah for that. You may have had great believing grandparents. But you do not have the excuses of the previous generation. We pray they were faithful to the message of their generation. Now we must be faithful to the message of our generation because Yahuwah is moving throughout our generations. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22 For Yahuwah is our judge, Yahuwah is our lawgiver, Yahuwah is our king. Amen. So do you see the idol or the new God right there within Article 1? Do you see the new God? The new God right there is the legislative powers, the Senate and the House of Representatives. Aiken's buried an idol underneath his house, has he not? And everybody's bowing down and worshipping it. That is the idol because legislation, and here's the problem, legislation enacts morality, does it not? They're indivisible. And now you know why you live in such a morally decayed society, because it's from the top. The top is morally decayed. Legislators enact morality. It is indivisible indivisible either Yahweh is the source of our legislation which is rooted in the torah or the god we the people is the source of legislation which is like i said rooted in secular humanism a moral baby is going to be born you just have to decide which god that you're going to serve and then the moral baby will be born to that god And now you wonder why you've got so many problems with your children and grandchildren. Because they're serving the wrong God. You put them in secular school and they're teaching them to serve the God we the people. And you can try all you want to raise them up in Yahuwah, but they are getting every day a different message from what you're doing. And you're not enacting good government at home in the first place because you abdicated your responsibility to the secular world. Do you see? Good governance always starts at home. You can never abdicate that responsibility. We are commanded to raise our children up in the way of Yahweh. Now, you and I don't have the excuse that your parents or your grandparents they went to secular school and they did just fine. Have you seen the schools in this generation? Yes. Because where you went to school parents, that's not where the kids today go to school. Okay? So again, we have to understand what you, Chuck and Sarah, did with your kids, that's going to be very different than what your kid does with his kid in today's world. They're not going to have the excuses that what you did for your generation was right and you've come out of it. But the world has changed. 30 years is a long time in a secular world where morality decays each and every moment At a rate that you and I can't even track. Can't even track. So, we have to understand today, legislation. We are basically at the mercy of a two out of three majority. Think about it. Two out of three majority can make anything law today. That's the system that we serve. Yahweh has been dethroned. He was dethroned in the Garden of Eden, he was dethroned in Babel, and he was dethroned by King Saul, rejecting Yahuwah's law and choosing man's law instead. Let's look at Article 2, written by man. The executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States of America. He shall hold his office during the term of four years, together with the vice president chosen for the term being elected. So we have a president, and like I said, that is one who presides over a throne. Who's our king? Who's our king? Who has the executive authority in my life? Who has the executive authority in your life? This, it never used to be like this until the late 18th century. The Puritans would never have put up with this nonsense. Never. They would never have tolerated this nonsense. Term limits are ridiculous. And people are like, oh, I'm so glad we've got term limits. Term limits are ridiculous. Where do you see that in the scripture? Think about it. We've become so divorced from the word that you think it's a good thing. I mean, I know everyone was like, oh, thank goodness, Obama only had eight years. He would have never got there in the first place if we were doing things the way the word said. All term limits are, they are a long chain for a slave who thinks he's free. He's just about to get to the end of his chain. He's just about to... And then guess what? Term limits. He goes scurrying back to his shack. And then he starts going out and he just about gets to the end of his chain because he thinks he's free. And then just when he's about to realize he's not free... Term limits, he goes scurrying back to his shack. He's always a slave. Term limits have been put in the Constitution to keep you and me in slavery. That's the only reason. It's not for your benefit. It's to keep you a docile slave who never gets to the end of his chain. Well, some of you have a longer chain than others, but you'll only get out to eight years and then you'll go scurrying back into the shack. This is exactly the way it was designed. It's really all about keeping the people docile and thinking they're free. The slave with a long chain that never reaches the end of his shackle thinks he's free. So, as believers, we're to appoint, not to elect. That's our responsibility. Look at Article 3. The judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one supreme court. And in such inferior courts as the Congress may, from time to time ordain and establish the judges both of the supreme and inferior courts shall hold their offices during good behavior they're only allowed to hold their offices during good behavior but in the bible judicial appointees have to be men of truth who fear yahuwah and they hate covetousness but not so in the Constitution. There is no such stipulation whatsoever. What does it say in Second Chronicles chapter 19 verse 5? And he sets judges in the land throughout all the fenced cities of Judah, city by city. And said to the judges, take heed what you do. For you judge not for man, but for Yahuwah who is with you in the judgment, so that's true biblical judgment, and no one is good but one, Yahweh alone. And how on earth do we even determine good behavior? Right, that's moral relativity, unless you believe in biblical law, right? Good behavior. How do you determine what good behavior is unless you you live by the Torah of Yahuwah? Because good behavior has to be determined by Yahuwah's Torah, not secular humanism. So we're under the boot of one chief justice. That's the reality and eight associate judges. You realize that? We are under the boot of one chief justice and eight associate judges, which means that a five to four majority of biblically illiterate lawyers moves the hands of the national God, we the people. That's it. 34 out of the 35 framers of the Constitution were lawyers. Lawyers. The church was thrown out of the street in Philadelphia by the lawyers of Philadelphia. The city of Philadelphia in the Greek, brotherly love. How ironic is that? Right? Luke chapter 11 verse 52. Woe unto you lawyers... For you have taken away the key of knowledge. The key of knowledge is Yahuwah's Torah in the Malkit Zedek anointing instituted by the new covenant of Yahusha. He is our key of knowledge that gives us a liberty where liberty is due by a resurrected life and good governance at home. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You enter not in yourselves and them that are entering in, you've hindered. Woe to those who interpret the law. That's the message. Because whoever has the power to interpret the law is in fact the supreme legislator, are they not? And then people will start, don't get me going about the unbiblical jury system that we have. Oh my goodness. Place, think about it. Placing your hands, placing your hands in your life in the hands of 12 Walmart shoppers. Are you serious? But that's what you're doing. You are placing your very life in the hands of 12 Walmart shoppers. The general populace. Those that walk around at 2 o'clock in the morning in Walmart, you are placing your life within their very hands in this system. Wow. Does that sound like justice? But that is the justice that you have in this land of the free. It is stacked against you from the very beginning. The general public is notorious. We know this for not having the independence and resolution to resist a mob they don't even have the independence and the resolution to stand up do they that's why we're warned in exodus chapter 23 verse 2 do not be part of a mob judgment because the majority will follow the herd off of the cliff right yeah. they don't want to stand out they don't want to st- well no that's not right That is the problem that we're seeing today in the legal system that we have. But in the colony of New Haven in 1639, they actually had adopted Hebrew law. They had adopted the Torah. They had rejected English law. And under English law, there was 150 crimes for which people were put to death. But as soon as they adopted Hebrew law, There was the 11 biblical requirements of the death penalty. Dropped one from 150 people under the king. 150 kinds of crimes that the king of England would kill you for. As soon as they adopted the Torah, there's 11 kind of crimes that you get killed for. Because prisons are unbiblical. Right? So, where's your freedom? Under the king of England or under the king of kings? See? I'd way more full, fall under the mercy of Yahuwah than under the mercy of men. Because of the mercy of men gives you 150 crimes for the death penalty. But the mercy of Yahuwah gives you 11 crimes for the death penalty. That's mercy. And the prophets knew that. They would much rather fall under the mercy of Yahuwah than under the mercy of man. But today... Everybody's going to man instead of going to Yahuwah. All a jury does is is act under the cover of law and the color of justice. Isn't that true? That's all a jury does is act under cover of law and color of justice. That's the definition, my friends, of tyranny. That's the definition of tyranny. Let's look at Article 6. Because this is most, most telling. This constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made. Salah. What I have just said has got huge ramifications that most are unaware of. Now you're going to understand why we have the Islamification of America, why it's legal, why it's codified into US law, and why you can't do diddly-squat about it. It's built into the Constitution. You're going to now understand why the UN white trucks are going to be rolling down the freeway, arresting you, and you will be under the governance of the UN. You are now going to understand why FEMA camps are going to pop up all around this nation. They've already been built. And people are going to be rounded up and put in them. And you're going to understand there is not a thing that you can do about it legally. Because it's already codified into US law under Article 6. You have written this into the laws and signed under it The God we the people that the majority is serving. Listen to the language. This is terrifying. Article 6. This constitution... And the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land and judges in every state... And judges in every state shall be bound thereby. You mean to tell me that whatever treaty the United States makes with the UN, with the Mohammedans, becomes US law and the state judges are therefore bound by it and the people are under that treaty and sovereign law and rule is that what you're saying you mean this is no longer america you mean the treaties that america made with the muhammadians in the barbary wars the first war of the united states was against islam you mean that treaty is now codified into the Constitution under supreme U.S. law and local judges within the states have to submit to Islam? Are you serious? Yes. And there's nothing that you can do about it. <sighs> You mean that the UN building in New York, all the white UN trucks that have the authority under international law to round up citizens of America in conjunction with FEMA, that is a law that not the local judges in your state can do anything about. You just got to the end of your leash. You just got to the end of your leash. We do not have the time to go back and say, but hang on, my parents in the 80s and the 70s, they were good Bible-believing folk. They didn't have to be as radical as you guys are. Why? because the building's about to collapse and you have got to get out and you have got to wake up. <clears throat> and judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the constitution or laws of any state to the contrary nonwithstanding the senators and the representatives before mentioned and the members of the several state legislators and all executive and judicial officers both of the United States and of the several states shall be bound by oath or affirmation. This is still Article 6 and you thought it was bad. Now it's just going to get even worse. Here we go. To support this constitution, but no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. There you have it. Article 6 is the shackle that leads you to the guillotine. And it's twofold. Any treaties... Any treaties that are made by the US are then ratified and brought into constitution. They're brought, even brought into the state laws that not, not even the highest judge in the state can do anything about. The second thing, all of those religious test oaths that they used to have in the colonies where you couldn't be in any public office unless you swore allegiance to Yahuwah, swore allegiance to the Bible, and in some states you even had to swear allegiance and uphold the fact of the Trinity, the triune. And that's the way they communicated. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm not getting into the doctrine of the Trinity right now, but we do know that there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There used to be religious test oaths in this country. You could not hold office unless you took a religious test oath. Now in Article 6, they're saying it is illegal for you to impose to have a religious test oath. Which means now, because of Article 6, the Mohammedans can come in. The Ashkenazi can come in. And, the, and all of the Hindu and all of the foreign gods, they can all now come up. And anyone that is a Bible believer, you are now what? Banned to take the religious test oath. This is huge in Article 6. This is the most damning anti-Yahuwah law ever contrived by men. Ever contrived by men. This beats the laws that were on the books in the days of Elijah the prophet. This is worse than King Ahab and Jezebel right here. This is how bad it's got. The constitution, the laws, and all treaties of the United States are supreme law. That's what it's saying. That all judges and all states are bound by anything contrary to these laws, they don't stand. And no religious test oaths will ever be required, according to Article 6. This means that the laws of Yahuwah are subservient to the laws of the Supreme God, we the people. There you have it right there. No religious test oaths coupled with all treaties made under the authority of the US shackles you to the supreme God, we the people. Isn't that terrifying? Article 6 was the final nail in the coffin. The final nail in the coffin. A supreme law, think about it, can only come from a supreme being, can it not? So who are you saying the supreme being is? The polytheistic God? We the people. A supreme law can only come from a supreme being. Who's your God? Who's your God? There's a prohibition in the Constitution against Christian test oaths which would have required judges to fear Yahuwah and Yahuwah alone. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 15 verse 6. Thus ye have made the commandment of Yahuwah of none effect by your tradition. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth, and they honoreth me with their lips. But their heart, it is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The Supreme Court decisions, all laws which are repugnant to the Constitution are null and void. This is a Supreme Court decision. Listen, all laws which are repugnant to the Constitution's Constitution are null and void. This is Marbury versus Madison in 1803. The law of Yahuwah according to the constitution is what? Null and void. Do you understand that? So these constitutionalists, they're not understanding as Bible believers, you can't support this. You cannot support it. You cannot commingle. You're violating the laws of Kilayim, the laws of mixing. You shall not plow, plow your field and sow diverse species in it, and you shall not wear a garment of wool and linen. When you mix with the Constitution as a Bible believer, you violate the laws of Kiliaim, and you will be judged. You'll end up in jail, most probably, because you're mixing. Come out of her, my people, because the house is about to collapse. The beams are cracking. So we have to continue on, but this is most important. Why do you think we've had a Muslim president? Why do you think? Why do you think? Now you know. We had a Muslim president because the treaties that were ratified in the Barbary Wars, the first war that we had with Islam and the Mohammedans, is now constitutional law that allows you to have a muslim president and legally that's just fine according to the constitution why do you think you have got massive islamic immigration without any legal ramifications none whatsoever Because the treaties we made with the Muslims in Tripoli during the Barbary Wars became part of the supreme law of the land, according to Article 6. We don't live. This is going to really upset some people. And I'm sorry. But we don't live in a Christian nation anymore. And we haven't. Since martial rule began in 1776, my people perish for lack of knowledge. You've got to understand the foundational truth of this Antichrist nation. This is Mystery Babylon. This is Mystery Babylon. It is run by the Talmudic Ashkenazi Jews that brought out all of those laws from Babylon. They fund the government. They fund Wall Street. Wall Street funds the government. You've got Hollywood. It is what it is. It's Mystery Babylon. It's the New World Order, the Luciferic realm. And we have got to be aware of this in this day because we are under martial rule, soon to become martial law when they decide to flip the switch. So Article 6 also makes the charter of the UN the supreme law of the land, which all states and judges shall be bound thereby, and that's since 1952. Not since 1952, they brought in the Constitution under Article 6 and the treaty. Isn't that amazing? So constitutional it's totally lawful for UN troops to be on the streets and round you all up. There's nothing that you can do about it legally. It's totally lawful to put you under irons. And people will go, "Oh, this is so pessimistic and so negative." Well, you know what? They've said that about the prophets of. Oh, you know what? I can't stand that prophet. Yeah, every time that prophet comes forth, he always says negative things. I think I just read that this morning in Second Chronicles chapter 15 or 16. You know, can we get another? He's always so negative. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> prophet of <adieu>. doom. <laughs> Religious test oaths. Man, can you imagine? They used to be the norm. Wouldn't that be amazing? Religious. Let, hey, kids, let's go down to the state capitol. We're going to witness a religious test oath today. Praise Yah. And then we'll go and have a barbecue void of bacon with beans in the park. Because we follow biblical law. Wouldn't that be great? What a great outing that would be. Let's go down and witness a test oath, because you can't hold an office unless you take a religious test oath. That's the way it used to be in 17th century America. New Jersey, religious test oath. Georgia, religious chest um, chest oath. oath. South Carolina, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, all these states. You had To be a Protestant Christian and believe in the divine authority of the New Testament and the Old Testament, otherwise you were not allowed to take office. You had to attest to that. In Pennsylvania, legislators had to recite this. Imagine, just imagine, quote... I do believe in one God, the creator and governor of the universe, the rewarder of good and the punisher of the wicked. And I do acknowledge the scriptures of the Old Testament and the New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. Can you imagine that? Wow. That was Puritan America. That was Puritan America. But you know what? Delaware... Delaware said, nah, that's not good enough for us. Now, when you want to become in office in Delaware, we're going to add these words. I believe in the Trinity and the divine inspiration of the Bible. So they took it a step further. There wasn't going to be any infiltrating Mohammedan or Ashkenazi holding any office or pulling the purse strings. You weren't getting any Talmudic Ashkenazi coming in and funding government. It wasn't going to happen. There was no AIPAC. There was none of that. There was no sending billions and billions of taxpayer dollars to a Zionistic Antichrist state in the middle of... In the east or the middle east there was none of that it was illegal not today not today article 6 and its ban on religious test oaths has paved the way from monotheism to polytheism Now Muslims and Ashkenazis and atheists can sit in judgment of the faithful, just like the days of Caiaphas and the days of Muhammad. Those are the days that we now live in. America, now due to Article 6, is an anti-Christ nation. You are not living in the America of your parents and your grandparents, you don't have the excuses. We've got to be real. Let's look further at the authority of Scripture versus the amendments. Because, I mean, how many times do you hear, hear Bible believe, well, I've got the Second Amendment, right? It's my right to bear arms. I've got the right to life, liberty. No, you don't. Where in the Bible do we have the right to anything? I have the right to have a fiery death of judgment. That's about the only right I have. Everything else is called rachamin, his mercy. I don't have rights. I don't have rights. So let's look at some of the amendments the first ten amendments of course in the constitution you all know this are called the bill of rights right so let's look at amendment one congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. There you have the first of the Bill of Rights, Amendment 1. Now, the amendments, we have to understand, they were born out of compromise. That's never a good thing, is it? They were born out of compromise between the anti-federalists and the Constitution's framers that were luciferic masons. So this was born out of compromise, which is never a good thing. And before we start to delve further, we always hear people spouting off about how the Bill of Rights protects your unalienable rights, your God-given rights. And we've all heard that. We may have even said it ourselves at some point, but now we're getting more understanding. But there is no chapter, there is no verse where Yahuwah gives us rights Let's be real within the scripture. Yahweh does not give us the right to life. He doesn't. He doesn't give us the right to liberty. He doesn't. Genesis chapter 5. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. At the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. What does Yahweh give us? We have responsibilities and requirements. We do not have the right to diddly-widdly-squat. We have responsibilities and requirements. We do not have rights. Let's not speak the language of secular humanism, the polytheistic God, we the people. Let's speak the language of scripture, the monotheistic, Yahwistic religion of the one true living Elohim, Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel. His language is... We have responsibilities, we have requirements to steward this thing that we're all in called life. And what a responsibility and a requirement it is. Is it not? Huge with our children, huge responsibilities that we're all... And remember how we started this teaching today. Good governance begins at home with a husband, a wife and father to the parents... Good governance means that we will have responsibilities that we are required to answer for life. Who's your guardian? Sinful man or divine Yahuwah? Who's your guardian? The one who gives you rights can just as easily revoke those rights. Can they not? So who's your guardian? Metatron, the guardian of Israel, Yahushua. That's our guardian. The one who bestows responsibility and who will require an accounting from you will aid and equip you to fulfill those responsibilities. Because America made freedom its primary goal. America and freedom. Freedom, the freedom tower. Don't start on that. Oh my goodness. I could easily get into 9-11, but we won't. Three towers fell that day. Three towers. Mm-hmm. Only two planes. Three towers. Mm. Mm. Anyway, do the math. But because America made freedom its primary goal, it lost it. It lost it. Because it made, not responsibility, but freedom from responsibility its purpose. Right? That's not my responsibility. It's not my responsibility. Where do we find true liberty? James, chapter 1, verse 25. But who is? Whosoever looketh into the perfect Torah, the perfect law of liberty, that's where we find our liberty, continueth therein. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed indeed. That's where our liberty is. Not in the Constitution, but in the perfect, royal, Malkitzedic Torah of Yahweh. It's the royal Torah. If America, unawares, serves the God, we the people, which is secular humanism, is it any wonder that American Christianity has gone down the same path? And that's why so many of you are here listening about the royal Torah, you said we are believers and we are not secular believers we are aspiring to keep the faith that was once delivered to the saints we want an authentic walk with Yahweh, like the disciples But if you serve the God of secular humanism, it's no wonder that American Christianity has gone down the same path. New Testament only Christianity that's abrogated the law of Moses has knocked out the Puritan foundation of this Christian country. Don't you see it? The Puritans weren't antinomians. They had to swear a religious test oath on the Old Testament and the New Testament. They weren't told to swear a religious test oath on John forward. It was illegal to celebrate Christmas in the Puritan countries because they knew that it was from a Masonic, Luciferic realm. They knew these things. They knew of these things. Of course they did. If you abrogate the law of Moses and you're just a New Testament only believer, that's nothing more than baptized secular humanism. Don't you see that? It's nothing more than baptized secular humanism. And you wonder why the church is so full of secular people? Because New Testament only faith, void from the royal Torah, the law of Yahweh, is baptized secular humanism. It's the world, but Christian, right? How many times will we sitting in Calvary Chapel and we'd be like, oh, this is great. We were coming out of the world. with It's the world, but Christian, oh, here's third day. Turn the volume up. Let's rock it out. Who wants to go to Red Lobster afterwards and throw up? I mean, outrageous. Some of those potlucks, you would go home and throw up. Right? Sitting out in the sun, festering all afternoon, everyone who's had their hands in the. Ah, oh, dear, Henry. Good grief. Freedom cannot exist unless freedom is under law. Freedom cannot exist unless freedom is under law. If freedom is made absolute, it will absolutely result in tyranny. And that's the problem. The perfect law is the perfect law of liberty. Why are we so afraid of the law of Yahweh? That is where our liberty is. Why do you think you have an Englishman teaching you the Torah? <laughs> I grew up underneath underneath a monarchy system of tyranny generationally and when i got shown psalm 119 i'm like there is liberty there is liberty and a framework to live that is righteous just and holy that will keep me out of the snares of the enemy i like having a righteous fence around me Because there's my liberty. Because the world is slavery and sin and death. And where you think you're free, you are shackled to a leash of slavery. That's what it is. I am Yahuwah, your Elohim, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me saith Yahuwah. Following Yahuwah means following his laws that bring forth true liberty. He's always been the Elohim to set us free from slavery. That's the God we serve. That's his very nature, That's who he is. The polytheistic religions are gods of servitude and slavery. The Egyptians were enslaved. Do you think the Mohammedan is free? How many times is he required to pray daily? The guy never gets any bloody rest. No wonder he's pissed off, running around, wants to cut your bloody head off. Literally. Literally. He's exhausted. You're just about to fall asleep and you get the bloody microphone with the Nutter Mohammedan bellowing from the parapets. I I wish they hadn't put a fence around that parapet and he'd just walk off the edge like Jezebel. And all you find is hands and feet. But this is the world that we live in. No wonder they're so upset they're in slavery to their polytheistic god all muhammad did was go to mecca and pull out one of the 364 daily deities and he named him as the supreme god and the jews in medina said we're not having any of that so they went to war against muhammad he drew his sword and there you go Because the Jews said, This isn't the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a polytheistic faith that was born in Mecca from the black tar that came down from the aliens. (laughs) And we know they were born in Genesis 6. Genesis 6. But we know that every God requires its followers to adhere to its laws, its rituals. The law and the God are always inseparable. Always inseparable. Even those who choose to not follow Yahweh, who choose not to th- follow Yahweh's laws through Moses, they've chosen to follow some other God's laws by default. Who do you want to serve? To have no other God means to have no other laws other than Yahweh's laws. Right? That's what it means. By abandoning Torah for another law system, you in effect change God's. Because a God is connected to his laws. And if you abandon Yahweh's laws, you abandon Yahweh. And therefore you come under secular humanism that's infiltrated 20th and 21st century Christianity by default. Especially if you mix that up with constitutionalism and you have a lot of Bible believers, they've been arrested in Eastern Oregon, Bible believers going up on the Constitution. It's all in that familiar spirit of secular humanism. And You don't want to be involved in a mob judgment. You don't want to be involved in that. Exodus chapter 23. Now I will move on to the next verse. (laughs) Verse 9 of chapter 13. We're nearly done. Tomorrow. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fullness of the Torah. Freedom of religion, the rejection of a Yahwistic state in favor of a polytheistic state is called religious pluralism. And that's what we live in today a world of religious pluralism. I was on the aeroplane on the way to Mexico last week and I was sitting next to this girl and uh, she she said, what are you reading? I said, oh, I'm reading Romans. She's like, oh. I said, it was written, I'm speaking in their language, it was written by St. Paul over 2,000 years ago. Blah, 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 blah. And she's like, oh, really? I said, what are you reading? She said, oh, I'm reading about Abraham. I was like, really? That's exciting. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I just go off. And she's like, no. I said, what what do you mean, Abraham, then? She's like, I said, can I have a look at the book? I look on the back of the book. And I'm like, bloody heck. She's like, what? I said, this isn't Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So let me get this right. Abraham is a spirit guide that you call up, that directs you? She's like, yes, and he enlightens me. I'm thinking, code. Abraham is a demon spirit guide that leads her into a Luciferic world of religious pluralism. And then I look and it's a giveaway. She's got a triangle tattooed on her her wrist. With an eyeball in it. Hello. A covenant mark right there. So, you know, I was all excited. And then I was like, creeped out. This is, this is the world that we live in. To the pure of heart, all things are pure. I'm, I'm like, oh great, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And I'm about to, you know... Oh my goodness, but this is the world that we live in. Secular humanism, polytheistic religion always lead to any God. And so then I continue, I'll tell you this story because it was amazing to me. I mean, there's so many things that have happened the past week. Little signs and eye smiles everywhere. So basically then, you know, I'm talking to her and she's like, well, I broke up with my boyfriend because he was a hater. I said, oh, no, I'm not hating on you. I mean, we have different ideas. And, you know, I believe that there's only one God and that his name is Yahweh. Yahweh the one true God of Israel. So we're different. But you're, from my understanding, you like a lot of different gods. Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, so I would be called a monotheist and you would be called a polytheist. You're into polytheism. I'm into monotheism. I'm educating her. She's like, oh, really, really? I said, so let me ask you this question, because I'd love to know. I said, do you believe that we were created? She said, what do you mean, do we? Do you believe we were created? I said, well, me, serving Yahuwah, the one true God of Israel, I believe as a monotheistic, we were created from the dust, and that Yahuwah breathed into us, and we became a living soul. So you're a soul, and I'm a soul. And she's like, wow. man you want to go surfing with me you're like a mystic i mean she just thought i was like she just thought i was just like wow this old gray-haired wise man you know she's like 19 you know a kid i said so what about you as a polytheist i'm like do you think that we were created "Mm." and i'm like okay here goes the hook or do you think like Darwin, that, you know, you evolved. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think we're evolved. I said, so, so your gods, then, are neutered and powerless. <laughs> <laughs> right? Done. We're done. Your gods are neutered and powerless You worship them, but you rely on a man from where you think you came from. My Elohim is the almighty creator, the one true living Elohim that created me from the dust. And he breathed his spirit in me and I'm a living soul testifying to you of the corruptness of your theology right there on an airplane. And they got nothing. Nothing when truth is spoken. That's powerful. And by the words of her mouth, she testified that her gods were powerless and she had nothing to say. And do you know what the next thing she did? Put her headphones in. in. Didn't speak another word to me. Hmm. Hmm. So, back to freedom of religion. You can see the perils of it, can you not? Can you not? The first, i mean, if that plane went down, which God would she have been praying to? Oh, hang on a minute. No, no, that one's dead in the ground. This one—that I mean, really. Yeah, the wrong one. Powerless. Going back to freedom of religion, the rejection of a Yahwistic state in favor of a polytheistic state is called religious pluralism where the gods are neutered. Neutered, castrated, infertile, unable to bring forth life. So therefore it is a death culture and that is why you see skulls on everything. jury. T-shirts, hats, tattoos, everywhere. Skulls, skulls, skulls. The death culture of religious pluralism. It's all around you. It's fashionable. It's cool. No, it's not. It is a testimony to religious pluralism and the neutrality and the iniquity of your gods. And they're worshipping them because they worship death. And that is the reality of the world that we live in. The First Amendment equally authorizes non-Christian or even anti-Christian religions. Because remember the Article 6 where we have the ban on religious Christian religious testos. That's key. The First Amendment in line with Article 6. It actually prohibits the exercise of monotheistic Christianity it prohibits it and it establishes polytheism in its place by that ban on religious test oaths the free exercise clause gives exercise to all the nations gods lawfully sanctioned polytheism this is an antichrist nation romans chapter 13:11 Besides this, you know the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now our salvation... Oh, this is such a a wonderful verse. For now our salvation is nearer than when I began yapping on about Romans 13 a few weeks ago. Our salvation is far nearer than when we first came to trust. The night is almost gone and the day is near. So let us put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So let's talk about some armor because I like body armor and weapons and all of that. And let's talk about the Second Amendment, right? What is the Second Amendment? A well-regulated, this is right down your language, your language, your language. Oh, no, it's your language. Uh, definitely your language. <laughs> a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Ra, rah, rah. Sounds good, but it's not. Sounds good, but it's not because you do realize we've given we've given five people the right to decide whether you have the right to protect your family five people you've said it's okay that five people can decide whether you have the right to protect your family now that's not all right with me and it shouldn't be all right with you because it's the supreme court that has decided that for the time being and you know that if they give you that right then they can just as easily take away that right if they decide otherwise or you can get all rah-rah-rah about Yahuwah and what he gives you which is a way better route to go Which is responsibility. Because he doesn't give you the right, but he gives you the responsibility and it is always. Never to be rescinded. It is always. It can never be taken away. It is a responsibility, not a right. And it is always this. If a thief be found breaking in and be smitten that he die, there shall no blood be shed for him. Exodus chapter 22 verse 2. Psalm 149. Let the high praises of Yahuwah be in their mouth and the two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all his saints. It's all of your responsibility. You all have this responsibility. Praise Yahweh. You want the Second Amendment or you want Psalm 149? You want the Second Amendment or you want Exodus chapter 22, verse 2? You want the Second Amendment or do you want Luke chapter 11, verse 21? When a strong man arm keepeth his home, his goods are secure. You better arm up because it comes from Yahweh. It does not come from man. Do you want the second amendment or do you want Luke chapter 22, verse 36? And he's ha- he that hath no sword, let him sell his garments and buy one. And they said, but master, behold, can I get a pistol and a rifle, two swords? And he said, yeah, that's a good idea. That's good enough. Yes, you get a pistol and a rifle, two swords. What's that? <laughs> Where does your liberty lie? That's the question we must ask. Does our liberty lie in Yahweh and his son that change not? Not a shadow of changing? Or does it lie in five fickle, sinful men? Forget the Second Amendment. Stand on the Scriptures. Stand, stand on the scriptures. What do you think the Puritans, what do you think the first Americans were doing? Were they armed up before the constitution? Where did they get that right? Where did they get that right to fight the British? There was no constitution. They got it from the law of Moses. And they stood on it and they overthrew tyranny. Tyranny. And then the Luciferic Masons came in and they bust up with the Second Amendment. And now your rights are dependent upon five fickle, sinful men. And they're going to come for your guns. And then what will you do? First Samuel chapter 13 verse 19. Not a good place to be. Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and every man his sword. Every man his coulter and every man his axe. Of course, they had no swords. And every man his mattock. Yet they had to file for the mattocks and for the coulters and for the forks and for the axes and to sharpen the goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and Jonathan his son was there found. So again, where do you get your authority? Where did the Americans get their authority to bear arms prior to 1791? They got it from the law of Moses. They got it from Exodus chapter 22 verse 2. They got it from the prophets. They got it from the psalmist. Psalm 149. And the best place to get your right to bear arms or your responsibility better to bear arms is from the Messiah himself. Luke chapter 11 and 22. Yahweh gives you the authority and he never changes. That's where you should find your liberty. Romans chapter 13, verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and not in envy. We need to be able to protect our families. We need to be able to protect our home from invasions and those who carouse in the night hours, those that walk in iniquity, those that prey upon the weak and the defenseless, We have the responsibility to protect them. When the children of Israel left Egypt and they came out upon the Amalekites, were they armed up? And could they protect the women, the children, the sick and the frail? Yes, they could. As long as Moses' hands were held up to Yahuwah and Yahuwah, the one true Yahwistic faith of monotheism finishing up look at the eighth amendment excessive bail shall not be required nor excessive fines imposed nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted so that's code for guantanamo bay is okay as long as the punishments are normal they're not unusual it's okay right isn't that what it's saying And now you wonder why we're in the state that we are with the prison systems that we have. Because if punishment isn't to be cruel and unusual, then by definition, the government's punishments are to be kind and normal. Kind and usual. So yes, this is just a kind and usual punishment. It's called waterboarding. You'll live. It's kind and it's usual. It happens all the time. Hazing in the military, it's kind and it's usual. Meaning sinful magistrates get to decide what, when, and how often to punish a person. It's kind and usual. That's what you all signed on for. It's crazy land. Yahweh tells us differently. He doesn't believe in prisons. He declares that for justice to be just, it must be administered justly. The death penalty. Life is so precious. And I said this last week. Life is so precious that anyone or any animal that maliciously takes another life, it has to be put to death. But that's not what the libtards would have us believe today, is it? (laughs) Totally different. Life, in contrast, life that is protected at all costs, it becomes valueless. Life that is protected at all costs becomes valueless. The anti-capital punishment proponents actually cheapen life. They cheapen life due to their upside down and backward value system. That is secular humanism. If a man is given 25 years, like I said last week, in prison for killing your loved one, then they just devalued the life of your loved one and in turn they monetized the life of the murderer. Do you know how much money the government gets through the monetization of prisoners? It's a multi-billion dollar industry they've said that the life of your loved one is only worth 25 years whilst they revived hundreds they received hundreds and thousands of dollars of prisoner monetization over those 25 years why do you think why do you think that people get double life sentences That makes no sense, right? Why on earth would somebody get a double life sentence? Why would somebody get a 20-year sentence to be served concurrently? Double monetization. It makes no sense. That's why they do it. Double monetization. It's all about the money. Chase the money. It'll end up in the Ashkenazi lap. The Talmudic mystery Babylon religion. Chase the money. Chase the money. Look at verse 14. Instead, put on the master Messiah Yahusha and stop making provision for the flesh stop making provision for its cravings. We're not to make provision for the flesh, especially the flesh of a murderer because the value of a murdered or kidnapped is so much more than the death of the murderer or kidnapper, isn't it? The value is in life. We have to understand that. Cruel and usual punishment the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel we've all experienced that the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel proverbs 12 verse 10 and in psalm 19 verse 9 the fear of yahweh it is clean it is enduring forever the judgments of yahweh are true And they are righteous altogether. You see, if you disannul Psalm 19, then you're just guilty of the sin of Job. Job 40, verse 8. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Romans 13, biggest challenge for me as a teacher to teach. Because I've seen so much in the legal system, in the United Kingdom, coming over here, seeing the laws, ending up in court myself, in various situations. Some of you here there to support me. We've seen how it's run. I've tried the constitutionalist route. I've tried the uh, sovereign experience that with the police. Not good. I don't want anything to do with that anymore. I've seen the error of my ways, the error of my youth, the error of my flesh. We serve a higher purpose. First and foremost, good governance must begin at home. If we do good governance at home with our marriages, with our children, with our grandchildren, and we teach them the word, not just intellectually, but to spiritually apply it, to pray and to have spiritual discernment and to clean the inside of the cup in our houses. Then we will be ready and be able to discern Second Thessalonians 2 when the governments of the world bring forth the man of sin. That's why there's the warning and the admonition to take stock when it comes to elections. What this means. To take stock when we parade around the Constitution like it is a document that gives you freedom. Because it's not. So Romans 13 Romans 13 has been a sober teaching for all of us. And yes, you can say, oh, well, I don't want that prophetic word. Give me one that's going to cheer me up. But you can go down the church road and listen to any archive teachings on Romans 13 that's going to say, you know, happy clappy. But this is a message for this generation because we are the generation that has got to see the beams are coming down. I don't want to be here when The Rock is president. I don't want to be here when Zuckerberg is president. Facebook guy. Oprah. Oprah. This is the world that we live in. And Donald, the Donald, isn't the answer to your prayers. Okay? Who will you seek for your healing? Will you seek Yahweh or will you seek the physicians? That's the question that we have to answer. And I hope that this has given us pause. Do not follow after a mob judgment. You don't want to get involved with those nationalists, those anti-government people. You don't want to be involved in that. You walk on a higher calling, that of a sovereign believer under the authority of Yahuwah. And when we have problems, we go to our knees and we go to our king. We don't go to a sinful man. That's the point. We and our redress is with our King Yahusha. And that's where safety, freedom, and responsibility and requirement lies. Amen. Questions, comments? Marine two in the back. Nothing online either. Ooh, quiet the past couple of weeks here on Romans. Nobody wants to vocalize. They're worried about the drones over their house because of the internet IP address connecting to Torah to the tribes. You can get a very good um, cloak. What do they call that? A VPN. I recommend a VPN, a virtual private network, so you can't be tracked. Yes. Is it hot? It's hot. The dawn, the dawn. Pastor, prophet, preacher, evangelist. Stop, stop, stop. stop, stop. Hallelujah. Yes. Of the many things that I would like to respond to, I have two questions from two great men. I would like for you to respond, if you would. Abraham said to God, Are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? How do you respond to that in light of all of this wonderful things, number one? And number two, another great man, after writing a book, said, How then shall we live? Mm. Was that Bonhoeffer? No, it was, uh, Francis, Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer. How then shall we live? A great question, great question. Will Yahweh destroy the righteous alongside the wicked because the wicked are so much. I believe the call is, as he says in Revelation, that it is a time for us to come out from amongst her. The problem with Lot's wife is she couldn't make that shift. She loved her possessions. She loved her palaces. She loved the things of the world. And this is the problem. If we have lived, as believers, a soul and fleshly life, which is an outward veneer, and that is how we've lived for a long time, and yes, as we mature, we come into that there's got to be more, and you start to awaken spiritually. But if you have practiced the other for so long, that call is so strong. It is such a pull that it is hard for people to totally turn away from it. Because to really embrace the spiritual, you've got to take the step to not look back. But that strong calling of out here is so part of the 20th and 21st century believing community. It's the prosperity gospel that many of us heard, you know. But really, we're to have dust in our feet, We're supposed to be on a dusty road. We're supposed to be on a dusty road. So I think it really is that time where we are to count the cost and be willing and ready to let it go and to come out of her, my people, because Lot's wife wasn't willing. And we're in that generation where we've got to start to take stock and look at the value of things in our life. How do we live? How do we walk this out? Most important thing, like I began with this teaching, is good governance at home. For me, that is the call. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father. I fail in so many aspects. But we're committed to work and do the work as a family, as I know you and your families are. We're committed to try and pierce the veil and connect to the hearts of our children and our children to connect to the hearts of their fathers because we want to change i said to moshe the other day i said son you know what i actually didn't fall in sin in this situation would you praise me for that would you just commend me because that will encourage me because you know look at this situation where i normally mess up i conquered it this time will you vocalize it to me when I do that? Because I need the encouragement because I want the victory and I want to hear it out of your mouth. He's like, yes, Papa. And that made a big deal to me. It was the small things, those small victories, they're what really count. Those small victories become incremental. Those small victories in my life where I used to behave one way or react one way, that's how we're to walk this out. It's good governance at home. Because the good governance at home is going to bring about the discernment that we'll see the man of sin. When everybody else is going to the Zionistic temple, everybody else is running to the FEMA for their food vaccinations and safety, and they think that the freedom is in that camp, you and I, we've already pulled out of that system. You've got to pull out of the system. Now's the time to pull out of the system because they're trying to rein you in more and more and more. You've got to be that free man that we are in Yahuwah we don't live in the state of Oregon in the state of Texas we don't live in the United States because that means you're a dead man we don't live in the land we live on the land we're alive you live in the land that means you're dead because you've gone back to the land so they speak a language of death That people align themselves because they don't think. We live on the land because we walk as Melchizedek priests in this nation that is mystery Babylon. But we've got our eyes set on a different land, right? But we're still on the land, never in the land. Amen? Amen. Abba, we thank you for your word that is sharper than a two-edged sword. And Abba, let it pierce. The veil between the flesh and the soul so that the soul and the flesh would be cut asunder and that our spirit would rise through the impartation of the word. Abba, pierce that soul and flesh and separate the spirit that you breathed into us that it can go, Abba, and now find that anointing vision that you give us through the Holy Spirit. We pray, Abba in these days to come, that this word would come to our remembrance in Yahusha's mighty name, that you would give us wisdom and discernment in how to govern at home, walk in the government of the land, and also look forward to the governance of your kingdom. In Yahusha's mighty name, Amen. 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 All right.